We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. I think it just proves that First Nations lands management really is working. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. Hello and welcome to the Land Decolonized podcast, the show that explores the practical side of the framework agreement on First Nation land management. I'm your host, Richard Perry. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? Case in point, Bingui Nayeshi Anishinaabek, an Ojibwa First Nation in Ontario, also known as Sandpoint First Nation. Imagine having your territory ripped away from you 60 years ago Because the land is so beautiful, you know, it really should be a provincial park, right? Well, here to share this incredible story is Jordan Hatton, head of economic development, who also led the push for a land code. Enjoy. I think maybe the first question, Jordan, is can we talk a little bit about Sandpoint and where it's located? So if you could help put that on the map for us, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So Sandpoint First Nation, Binguini Ashi, Anishinaabek, it's located about about two hours northeast of Thunder Bay, uh, about 20 about twenty kilometers south of the town of Beardmore, uh, which is a, a small uh, small hamlet, a part of the municipality of Greenstone, um, and the first uh, the first town closest to Sandpoint. And we're about five minutes uh, drive north of the uh, the First Nation Binjitawabek Stocking Anishinaabek, uh, Rocky Bay First Nation. So we're we're kind of right in the middle of the Lake Dipigan Forest on uh, along the highway uh, just south of Beardmore there on the southeast side of Lake Dipigan. Yeah, and the highway is that the Trans Canada that flows past? Yeah, there? that's right. Highway eleven, Highway eleven of the Trans Canada. Okay, and I gather from reading online that it's not a big community. Can you describe it for us? The actual reserve land base is about uh, nine hundred and eighty-four point six hectares, so uh, it's about three point eight uh, square miles. Um, but the uh, the population is, uh, I believe, about three hundred and seventy-five right now. About two hundred and seventy are, are voting members. So, uh, so it's a small First Nation, but it's growing quickly with some of the recent uh, Supreme Court cases. And I suppose you've probably got a typical mix of uh, very young and some elders in the community to give you a, a wealth of knowledge and uh, absolutely that kind yeah, of yeah, absolutely. No, we have uh, a, a, some some good elders. I mean, Sandpoint's in a in a bit of a unique situation compared to other communities because a lot of that the knowledge and language um, has been lost over the years because of the displacement. Um, but uh, there still are elders that speak the language and have some of those cultural teachings that we, we rely on, on, on them strongly. Uh, we do have a, you know, an impressive, uh, impressive youth that, uh, that are part of many different, um, uh, you know, different professions that, you know, can help us as we develop as well. So we've got a, We've got a good, well-rounded membership for sure. And you've been providing services for, I think, over a decade, right? Yeah, I first started working for the community in January 2011. So it's been, uh, it's, it's, it's been over 10, well, it's 10 years now, I guess. So 11 years now. So, yeah. Can you uh, take us back to the origin of the land code process there? Uh, I'm guessing it, I don't know if it just came out of the blue or whether somebody had come through and mentioned it. Uh, well, that's, that's interesting. I, that's going back about a decade now. So I've got to, I've got to go back a little bit. It's, I remember, uh, at the time the chief had heard about this initiative and it was actually my, my predecessor, uh, predecessor, my person who had the job before me, JP Gladue. Um, uh, he actually brought this to, uh, the leadership's attention back in, in 2011, 12 and said, this is something that would really be of, 
of benefit to BNA, um, being a community that's starting from scratch, um, that can manage its own lands and, and kind of proceed with uh, the pace of our development at the speed of business rather than, you know, kind of under the thumb of Indian Affairs. Um, so so JP ended up getting another position actually with, uh, with CCAB, the CEO of CCAB after that. So I took over his role and I, I led the um, the land code to its ratification in, in uh, March 2014. So uh, we had a good, well-rounded committee and uh, it was a good, good, wholesome process. And uh, the committee was, was strongly in favor. And it was a pretty good turnout and a pretty positive result, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe it was, I want to say it was a 111 to seven, I believe was the vote. It was something like that. I could be off a little bit, but it, it was, we had, we had a little over 50% of the membership at the time voting for it, uh, voting and, uh, and very strongly in favor of it. That was uh, probably back in the day where you needed was it a double majority vote? Yes, absolutely. For it to carry, yes, yeah. <laughs> that's, so that yeah, you're, that's changed. That's changed, and and that was that was challenging, right? Because especially when you have that displaced membership, you can't uh, you can't go door to door. Uh, you know, at, at, on the reserve and, and, and try to, you know, encourage people to vote or whatever. Our membership's displaced uh, all over the place, uh, you know, from coast to coast. So it was, you know, that whole process of getting members up to speed on the land code and, and getting them to vote for it and, and then everything else was, uh, was certainly a bit of a challenge, but it was, it was success. So. How did you go about doing that? Well, it was it was a lot of conversations. Uh, we had a lot of committee meetings. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it was also the makeup of our committee. Um, we made sure we had um, uh, elders, we had youth, we had all of the families represented as well, um, which I think is really important because uh, you know BNA is is a family in itself, but there's the different family groups that make up the community. So, um, and then they could take that information and they can bring it back to. Uh, uh, you know, their families and, and, you know, talk about the things that we're doing at the committee level. And then we had several community meetings as well, um, where, um, which is always a challenge for a displaced community, but we, we bring uh, our membership to, uh, to, a, you know, a hotel or, or, or whatnot in, in Thunder Bay and we can, we can present to them. So, uh, so we, we did it all. And, uh, and the more engagement, the better when it, when you're dealing with something like this. And I'm guessing there'd be a lot of back and forth with your contact at the resource center. Absolutely, they were integral. So at the time, it was uh, it was actually Julie and uh, and and Crystal Restool actually as well. She uh, she was she was just starting out back then, and and they uh, they were they assisted BNA and uh, uh, Julie Pellerin and Crystal in, in getting the land code ratified. So they were the lands advisory board was integral in, in the whole process, and they assisted us along the way. And they're both hard at it too. Oh, they haven't they, <laughs> still working. They haven't stopped. They haven't stopped. Yeah. Do you remember back then when you were starting, whether there were any real challenges? I mean, were there were there people who were strongly opposed to it and maybe held some myths about the process, like losing treaty or, or some other aspect? There was a little bit of that. Um, it's interesting. Our community was, uh, they, there wasn't some of those strongly held opinions as far as, um, you know, the importance of the Indian Act and how, you know, the that legislation is there to protect. I've, I've heard some of that from other communities over the years, uh, but at BNA it was it was much because again because of the displacement, the unique situation of the community. Uh, some of those ingrained views weren't really there. Um, there was some opposition, uh, but some sometimes there are some some members are a little bit oppositional, uh, and uh, and and they you know they sometimes people oppose things for different reasons. But we didn't hear a lot of the ingrained uh, uh, myths about the land code at the time, really. I should follow up on what you mentioned about unique circumstances of the community. Uh, I take it you're referring to the provincial park. Maybe give us a, a snapshot of that 
tarnished history, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the community, so BNA was a thriving First Nation, uh, you know, back in the early part of the of the twentieth century, and and far far before that, since since time immemorial, as as, as we say. But the the membership, uh, there was a, you know a, a strong commercial fishing uh, uh, mem- among the membership. Um, you know, professional trappers. There was we had a sawmill on the land, uh, but then a series of floods back in the nineteen twenties uh, and water diversions in the thirties and forties. Uh, flooded the community out, along with the other First Nations uh, around Lake Nipigon, in fairness. Um, but then the nail in the coffin, so to speak, was the creation of the Lake Nipigon or Black Sands Provincial Park in the middle of the 20th century. And uh, that led to the final displacement of the membership and the destruction of their homes uh, to create the park. So, so, and that that's basically what caused the displacement, the loss of culture, the loss of of community, and it's it's just that struggle to get to get that back. Which you know the land code's been you know, kind of one of those stepping stones for BNA and, uh, you know, in, in, the, in its overall redevelopment. I like to say redevelopment because there was, you know, there was a community that was once there that was destroyed. So. And how did the community get that land back? Uh, that's, uh, again, a bit before my time, and I'd, I'd want to talk to my chief about some of the, the hard work that some of those, uh, uh, some of those sure. soldiers did, but it was just a lot of, a lot of hard work, a lot of uh, fighting with, uh, I guess, Indian affairs at the time. Um, and, uh, and that didn't stop until I guess when I first started with the community in 2011, um, it's just been a continual struggle. And then even once you get the land back, um, then you're getting into the whole piece of how are we going to develop this land when there was, you know, a lot of your funding is based on who resides on the land, right? So that's an an additional struggle we face since getting the land back is how do you, how do you actually redevelop it? And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a year by year effort and process, so. So the land uh, was returned in 2011, and then, or was it official reserve status in 2010? 2010 is, is, I believe, official reserve status. Yeah, yes. So not only are you entertaining this new land code process, but you're really you're starting an official reserve with the band administration. I gather that's a lot to take on in a small community. It really is. I mean, it's we have a small but uh, you know very dedicated staff. Uh, you know, people really you know they want to see this community thrive. It's you know it's it's been a for sure the history is is devastating, but there's just a lot of positivity around you know the future and what and what potential there is for, for standpoint and for being Ashi. So, uh, yeah, our staff is, it's very small. It's hardworking. Uh, we're very progressive. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's not a fear of hiring outside when required and, and, uh, you know, we're trying to build that internal capacity, uh, wherever possible, but, um, no, the staff is very, very hardworking. Uh, it's, it's not a place to go and it's not a retirement job. It's a, it's a job you go and you gotta, you gotta work hard every day at BNA for sure. Is there a mix of employment in the in, on the reserve? So right now, uh, the only employment opportunity. Well, I, I shouldn't say that we have we have summer workers and you know yearly employees, uh, uh, seasonal employees. But we have the only business that BNA runs right now uh, in the community is is a small sawmill. Um, that was opened back in 2017. Um, it's it's in our it's in our industrial park right along the highway. Um, and again, just really quickly on the sawmill, that was one of the huge incentives to getting into the First Nation Land Management Act and the land code, the framework agreement, sorry, and the uh, the land code was yeah. negotiating with, in, you know, Indian Affairs or Aboriginal Affairs, I think at the time, on getting that land designation for the sawmill, 
was just a, a nightmare. So, you know, being able to do this on our own uh, going forward for, you know, the projects that we want to do on our own reserve is really important. But uh, so that's currently the only the only major employer. Um, we're also building houses uh, in the land. We average about three a year right now since 2018. Um, so there is opportunity for, for members to work, you know, work on the land. But one of the big issues we have also is housing, right? So we may have some of these opportunities for members, but you you have to be able to uh, to provide that uh the accommodation piece. So there's a lot, a lot we need to do to try to make, you know, life a little bit more, uh, uh, enjoyable for people that come to work in the community. Cause you're, it's right in the bush and there's not a lot of development yet. So we're getting there though. And I know you do have some ideas for down the road though, and what you'd like to see happen. What would some of those short-term opportunities be? Oh boy. Uh, well, we're starting a, so as we're developing, one of the things is we're focused on a green community. So we're developing a district uh, biomass heating system where we're going to actually, we use our, our wood residue. I don't like to use the word, the word wood waste, but our wood residue from our sawmill uh, to power up, or sorry, to provide heat uh, and lower the hydro costs for, for our community memberships. So uh, that's a major project. And so we have some other, uh, uh, some other solar projects that we're working on now. Uh, we're part of different mining developments in the region, hydroelectric developments. Uh, we're looking at a commercial development along the highway uh, for, uh, uh, for hotel gas bar and, uh, and restaurant uh, development. So, I mean, we have so many things that we're, we're working on right now, but the, the main focus is is to provide the opportunity for members to to relocate back to Sandpoint. So, you know, that's housing, yeah, housing and core infrastructure is, is still is still key uh, for the members. So, and you mentioned, yeah, at the outset that a lot of members are quite far away. Where are some of your members living? Elsewhere in Canada, all, all across the country, we have members in British Columbia, uh, a large membership uh, in Alberta. We have some members down in the U.S. Uh, the majority reside around around Thunder Bay. Uh, quite a few around the Sandpoint area, including Beardmore and Nipigon and Geraldton. Uh, interestingly, uh, because of the displacement, we actually have a large percentage of our membership. It's approximately ten percent that reside um, in Quebec, and uh, they're, they're they only speak French. Uh, so that adds another layer of complexity with engaging with our members, but we have a large, uh, a large Quebec membership as well. So it's, uh, they're, they're across the country quite literally. So yeah, being on the water there too, would that, uh, lend to some recreational opportunities or ecotourism? Is that feasible? Very much, very much in our plans. Uh, so, I mean, again, when, when you think of where, a, where a province is going to locate a park, it's going to be in, in the most desirable land, right? Right, right along the waterfront. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's uh, eco trail development we're looking at. Uh, we're looking at uh, potential lodge developments, other tourism opportunities. Uh, uh, it's it's endless. I mean, again, COVID's put a little bit of a, a switch in the gears as far as what to focus on right now. But I mean, we want to make sure that we're ready when uh, when things pick up again, and uh, and with all the different mining opportunities and everything that's happening in the region, and we got a, we got a lot of work to do on the tourism front. I'm guessing you're like a lot of communities in that your your community planning process is almost always happening, right? It's not defined as just being one or two or three years, but the entire community has to be coming up with ideas of where they would like to see you go. Yeah, that's a the year. No, you're very right with 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 that point for sure. So right now we're actually undergoing land use planning. Uh, we have we're doing a comprehensive community planning with uh, with the First Nation membership. Um, uh, we recently did economic economic development strategic planning. Uh, we have to redo our we look at our capital plan, which is now a decade old. So all of these different plans uh, require uh, community engagements and uh, and community buy-in and uh, and community go-ahead so there's a it's you're constantly going back to the membership and sometimes you hear that you know I've why are we getting surveyed again or why do we you know it's it, it, you get a little bit of that but but it's important that you continually get 
you know, the feedback from the membership because the membership continues to grow and their ideas change as well. So we want to make sure that we're, we're implementing their ideas and our plans. I'm guessing you have to be really creative nowadays because the whole COVID thing has mucked things up and um, we simply can't communicate with people the way we used to and the way that works very effectively, especially person to person, right? So yes. that's how have you managed that the last two years in particular? That's, that's been a challenge. Uh, we, we, did, we, we didn't, we tried, we dabbled in the virtual meetings a little bit and it didn't work too well. Uh, we have launched uh, all of our committees now, all, all virtual and online. So that's, it took us a while to get to that point. Uh, but, but we now have about five committees up and running with, uh, so some pretty heavy engagement happening now. But uh, on the actual bringing of the members together and as community, you know, as a community in, in, in a setting where we can all get together and have a meeting, that's been a real struggle. Um, we've, we've, we, I think we've had two on the land over the last two years uh, because it's outside, you can spread out, uh, you know, we don't have, a, obviously we don't have a hall or anything on the land, so we have a big tent and, you know, so that's, that's we've been able to do that. But um, as far as the traditional meeting style that we were used to, it's been a, it's been a struggle and the members have, have, have let us know that for sure. I hate to use the word normal because I don't think we'll ever be normal is in the, the old sense of the word. No, I agree with you. I, the sooner this is done with the, the better, especially for our development. I, I couldn't agree with you more there. The last time we talked, we were talking about the highway and whether or not that might be key to future economic development. Is that in your plans? Absolutely. So actually it's the kind of many chiefs, uh, our current chief and the chief prior to that they made this point that you really have two places to develop, right? You've got the highway and you've got the water, uh, a lot where we are. Um, and, and the highway, because of the different projects that are happening in the region is really where I believe the, you know, the biggest opportunity is for revenue generation and employment. So yeah, that's definitely our commercial zone as well as our, you know, future industrial developments along the highway are, are things that we're, we're currently most focused on for sure. Did I read, I think I read somewhere on the internet that, and this may have been from a few years back, but there was some thought about building a long-term care facility. Yes. Well, that's very much in our plans. Is that still in Absolutely. the mix? Absolutely. So, yeah. so since the election of our, of our current chief back in, um, chief and council, I should say back in, in February, there's been a, that's actually priority number one is, is to ensure that again, like I said, it's all part of the development of, you know, the relocation back to Sandpoint, but ensuring that elders have the first opportunity, right? The, the elders that, you know, remember Sandpoint, uh, you know, going back many years, right. And ensuring that there's facilities that can take care of them in their old age. So we're looking at an elders, um, an elders uh, complex, uh, uh, where we would have, you know, uh, uh, you know, care from uh, PSWs and whatnot to care for them. And that that's very much in the works right now. And it's a, it's a top project for current chief and council. So we're looking at that right now, overlooking Lake Dipping, and it would be a beautiful spot for BNA elders as well as elders from surrounding first nations to spend their, you know, spend the remaining years. So. Oh, that's awesome. Is there some kind of an economic partnership among, you know, three, four or five first nations in that general area? Are you able to work together as kind of a tribal council, I guess? That's, that's a, we, we do so much together. It's, it's, it's crazy. We do have a tribal council called Nokiwin tribal council. Uh, there's five first nations, including Sandpoint that are part of that, uh, that tribal council. Um, we have several other corporations that that kind of come together with groups of first nations depending on what the project is so you know right just for example right now we're in the currently in the process of setting up um a three-way uh, partnership corporation uh between our two neighboring communities uh you know with red rock and rocky bay for a uh 
a large mineral, uh, a large mine that's supposed to be going right in uh, adjacent to our uh, to our reserve. Um, and so we're setting up a large corporation for that. Uh, all opportunities will flow through there. Uh, we'll have a board of directors. It'll be done, you know, professionally and you know evenly. And it's all that stuff is a challenge, right? You got to work together. You have to make sure things are equal, that everyone has a say, and everyone shares in all the benefits and 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 risks as well, right? So uh, that's a continual uh, uh, one of my top roles for sure at Sandpoint is ensuring those partnerships are in place. I'd hate to have your calendar. <laughs> I can't imagine. That's not the first time I've, I've had people say that to me. Yeah. It's it's all interesting work though, and it's it's worth it, right? It's at the end of the day, if we can, we, I, I believe Sandpoint, the opportunities, and and we can be a thriving First Nation. So it's it's worth every minute of hard work. There must be so much optimism. I mean, when you look back at you know what happened in the 1940s and 50s when the land was taken away, and now you've, you know, you don't have to go begging cap in hand to Indian Affairs for land related questions. There must be a real sense of, you know what, we can make this happen. There really is. It's, it's almost like the world's our oyster, right? What, what do we want to see and let's make it happen. And it's, I, I really think being able to, it's, I, I always say, and it's, it's, it's not, I think it's, it's inappropriate to say this. That, yeah, I think the destruction of Sandpoint, in, it was a, a curse and the worst thing that's ever happened uh, uh, to the community. But in, if, if to look at it optimistically from the current standpoint, we have a clean slate of development, right? We we don't have those legacy issues that uh, a lot of First Nations have because they've been established for, you know, decades, centuries, uh, so on and so forth. So because of, you know, that unique opportunity of having a clean slate, clean place to develop, you can kind of do everything right from the get-go, right? A good, clean, uh, green community uh, uh, thriving uh, for the members. So it's, I think that opportunity is is exciting for the membership, for sure, and exciting for leadership. Man, you've packed a lot of information into twenty minutes. I can tell you, <laughs> I, 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 I could keep really going. Good. If you have more questions, I, I, I love, I love talking about this stuff. So I, I really appreciate this opportunity for sure. So, yeah, it shows. No, I think what we'll have to do is maybe arrange a, a second visit. Come back for part two of the uh, Sandpoint First <laughs> we'll Nation do that. I, 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 uh, podcast episode. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure there will be some people who might be in similar situations, maybe the same size community who might be wondering or looking for some tips. Uh, we will, of course, lead them to the Resource Center website. But if somebody wants to contact you directly, Jordan, what's the best way for them to do Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Anytime I'd be happy to help um, You know, any other community that's in, in the same situation or, or any advice or you know, words of wisdom, I'd, I'd be able to help out with that. I'd be happy to. So give me an email anytime at uh, jhatton, J-H-A-T-T-O-N, at bnafn.ca. And I'd be happy to answer uh, any of your questions and uh, and set up a call and, and meet with you. So I, it's uh, working together is important and helping each other out uh, community to community. I, I, I'm, I'm on board with that for sure. Fantastic. Thank you so much for an awesome conversation. Thank you very much, Miigwech. Appreciate your time. And the Sandpoint story is told in more detail on their website at bnafn.ca. That's bnafn.ca. The menu on their homepage has a link right to the land code section. For more on the cross-country land code movement, go to labrc.com. We have our own podcast page there. And if you'd like to share any thoughts or comments on this show, you can reach our executive producer, John Maxson, by email at podcast at labrc.com. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks again for listening to Land Decolonized.